0: Hey friends, you're listening to the Difference Makers podcast, and I'm your host, Jamie Mullins. On each monthly episode, we'll have a guest that will give us a peek into what it looks like for them to be a difference maker, a leader in the places God has given them influence. My hope is that it leaves you encouraged to use your gifts, passions, and story to make a difference right where you are. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Difference Makers Podcast. My name is Jamie Mullins, and we're so excited to have you with us today for our Difference Makers Podcast. This conversation is all about equipping and resourcing you to become a Difference Maker, to use your gifts, your passions, and your story in the places that God has given you influence. And today, we have Carrie Newhoff with us. We're so excited to have him in the great state of Texas. Welcome.
1: Hey, thank you. You guys have been uh, warm welcomers, and uh, the fact that it's 100 degrees also helps.
0: (laughs) A hundred degrees from where? What's the temperature? Well, Toronto,
1: but we we've had a hot summer. Like mid June, it just torched up. And, what
0: is torched up for? Uh,
1: like eighty-nine, That's ninety-five. Hot. Yeah, it's probably been a hundred a couple of days. Oh,
0: we yeah. this week is the first week that we've had hundred forecasted all week and we're really? ready to be done with it. I'm ready
1: for fall. Oh, yeah it is pretty pretty hot here.
0: It's warm. So and I
1: wore a jacket to look good uh, tonight. You know? <laughs> he's got know, this I tried. nice plaid placer
0: on and it's 100 degrees outside. He's he's suffering in the heat for us. <laughs> we appreciate it. So Carrie, for those of you who are with us for 10k Tuesday. Carrie was here um, and he he talked about some principles some challenges that we as leaders face um, from his book. I didn't see it coming and powerful message. But I just wanted to dive a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. that book and some of the challenges that we as leaders face. But first, our everyone who was at 10k Tuesday, and for those who are listening, they may not know a, a lot about Carrie Newhoff as a guy. So one of the things that I know that you have a passion for that you actually share in common with our lead pastor, Toby Slout, is that you love to cook or more specifically barbecue. Mm-hmm. So what, how did you even stumble into deciding that that was something you wanted to be passionate about?
1: Oh it's interesting, you know, cuz I talked about burnout tonight when we gathered. But before I burned out, I didn't have any hobbies. Mm. And I realized I need some hobbies and uh, barbecue I kind of fell into accidentally. So I'd always love southern barbecue. You don't get a lot of it in the north. Right. You know, even the northern US, not as, you know, ubiquitous as Texas some of the best barbecue I've ever had is here in Texas. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, But I always loved it. And then years ago, we, uh, we always had a gas grill like everybody and it broke, but it wasn't the year for it to break. Like it wasn't in the budget to buy a new one. So I said (laughs) to my wife, Hey, we got to get a new one. And she said, well, it's not really in the budget. And I'm like, no, we need barbecue. So I went to the barbecue store and there was one Weber kettle grill that i remembered from when i was a kid i'm like oh my dad used to barbecue on one of these and i'm like is this a toy or like does it actually work there was one (laughs) this is pre whole charcoal like revolution (laughs) and they said no it actually works and it was like i think 150 bucks or something Mm. so well that fits the budget (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. as opposed to, you know, really nice gas grill. Yeah. So uh, I brought it home, got a bag of charcoal. And Tony said, my wife said, okay, that's great. And uh, anyway, I think I cooked steaks the first night. You know, mm. you baptize a barbecue, everything. Yes. And so my boys, who were like 13 and nine at the time, I bring the steaks in and they take one bite and they go, dad, <laughs> what is this? I'm like, that's charcoal. <laughs> and I'd forgotten how good it tastes. So I'd had a Weber grill and... And then a few years ago for my birth, my wife surprised me with a big green egg and the rest is history.
0: Okay, so tell me like there's a grill and then there's, we don't have a green egg at our house. So wow. what is the difference between just a regular grill and a green egg? What makes it's it so clearly special? clearly a
1: question of someone who, who has never <laughs> tasted the fruit of the big green yeah. egg it's you know what? it's it's um, and it's funny because it gets better as time goes on because your barbecue like a like a seasoned cast iron skillet. Mm. So to answer your question technically, it's a ceramic grill. And it's about an inch thick egg that is green and big, <laughs> hence the big green egg. Yeah, but it's like I don't know, twelve hundred, two thousand year old Japanese technology that Mm -hmm. a company in atlanta just kind of said okay we're going to make our own version of this komodo grill called the big green egg and it will keep heat like it'll actually keep uh the temperature of a fire for like 30 hours without changing the charcoal wow so it's really efficient and that allows you and you know the key to barbecue is slow and low right so you want it really really you want it cooked low you want to cook slow so for pulled pork, for brisket, mm. for all of that, and you can grill on it too. Like you, you can just light it up. We did pizza the other night, oh, seven hundred degrees,
0: so good. Pizza on the
1: yeah. grill, and then and then you use the right charcoal, and you put some wood chips on it. it has that nice smoky barbecue Man, flavor. My husband mm. might be
0: getting a green egg for Father's Day. Yes, this year. <laughs> you should.
1: You should. It's a gift if you enjoy barbecue. It's a yeah, gift. Yeah, sounds
0: amazing. So we we did. We talked about at ten k Tuesday we talked about burnout, mm-hmm. we talked about pride, we talked about cynicism and, and ways that we can overcome that. But in your book, you talk, there's seven challenges that you say every leader is gonna face, yeah. but for whatever reason, we don't prepare for them, we, they catch us off guard, we're not ready, and so I wanna dive into a few more of those today, if that's okay, and just to help our, to help our listeners understand how they can be better prepared for these challenges that they're inevitably gonna face. Oh yeah. And one of them, um, is something I think is so prevalent in our culture today, and that's disconnection. Mm. And I think we often blame technology on mm-hmm. that lack of connection. I know that for my, I've got a teenage son, 14, and I'm saying he's disconnected because of his phone, but you actually have a chapter in the book that's like, we can't blame our phones. It's it's a people problem. So
1: Yeah, it is. You know, it is a technology issue. And people, I saw something on social today, I forget. I think it was John Tyson, actually, in New York City. Who posts a picture of this guy? You know how in these big cities they have like a horse drawn carriage that you can, as a tourist, take a ride in? Uh And like the guy's actually moving in traffic. He's driving the horse, but he's on his phone. Oh, it's like everywhere. (laughs) So it is it is a problem. But disconnection, I think, is a human problem. I think it's a Garden of Eden problem. Mm. So think back to, you know, pre-digital childhoods for listeners who are over 30. Mm-hmm. And most of us can think about if it wasn't in our family, you know, there was somebody who, who was, you know, the dad who always disappeared into his garage with a couple of beers, Mm -hmm. and was always working on his muscle car that was never, ever fixed. Yeah, What is that about? It's probably because I don't really want to engage my kids or my wife. I'm just kind of burying my pain. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the mom who was always on the phone, or always out with her friends, or um, disconnection, or the sister who locked herself in a room. Remember when telephones were plugged into the wall? Yes. Do you remember that?
0: I do remember that. Uh, Were you one of those
1: people who just locked herself in a room? Yes,
0: I definitely was. And you talked
1: for two hours to your friends? Yes yeah, see, so it's a human problem. Mm-hmm. and and I think, you know, it goes back to and I, I think there's a line, because I used to be an extrovert and I'm an introvert. <laughs> I think <laughs> ministry did that to mm-hmm. me. But uh, there's a line, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Yeah. And solitude's a gift from God. Solitude is restorative. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. You feel better, and you need it, and there's not a lot of that. But um, also, isolation is toxic. It's from the enemy. Yeah. And I think what happens is we all have a thousand friends, but we feel desperately alone. Yes. So, disconnection is a real problem. And then I don't like the remedy, but the, the, the problem I think at the heart of disconnection is hurry. Mm. And the remedy is to slow down. Love has a speed, and it's slower than you are. Mm. And, you know, date night, I've been married 29 years, date night with my wife. If I try to like, hurry up, we're going to do Burger King drive through <laughs> That's not a good date night, <laughs> right? No. Intimacy requires you to slow down, to tune out distractions, to focus. You're the only person in the room. You're the only person on my life. And I think a relationship with God is like that. Yeah. And the most meaningful times we have with other people are like that. We're not, we're, you know, our attention isn't split. Right. And so you got to slow down, eliminate distractions, and that's tough for a really driven person like me.
0: It is. I think it's tough for all of us. It's funny you said you mentioned that it started in the garden, like we see Adam and Eve in the moment that sin enters the world, they run away from God instead of to him, the source that could that would restore connection. They run away from him towards the isolation and towards the shame, and I think that we're we're hardwired to do the same thing. So I know probably a lot of people listening are like that sounds great to be connected to to take the intentional time, but what's a practical step that they can take? to move towards that because the, yeah. the time, if, if we've already got ourselves over-hurried, over hurried, over scheduled, what's a, what's a good first step?
1: Well, I think part of that is disconnecting to reconnect. Like technology's here to stay. Um, yeah. It's not going away anytime soon. But I think for in many cases, it's controlling us. We're not controlling it. Mm. So there needs to be times where your phone's away. There has to be times where honestly, I think solitude should be a discipline that people, like I've become, since I burned out, Way more comfortable with silence and solitude, and when I'm in that space, I'm a different person. Mm. When I'm go go go, and my phone's buzzing, and I got you know 17 emails I need to respond to in my inbox, I'm, I'm not there. I'm in the room, but I'm not there. So I think putting your technology away, getting comfortable with silence. You know, if you want to get hyper practical, yeah, take the screens out of your public rooms and Ooh, private rooms. That's good. Uh, we made that decision a long time ago when we got married. That our TV primarily, and for most of these years, sometimes you're in a really tight space. But, you know, if you have a house or whatever, our TV's never been in the living room. Wow. Living room is for conversation. That's good. We've never had a TV in the kitchen.
0: Mm.
1: Never had one in the dining room. We didn't put one in the bedroom because we wanted that to be a retreat. That's good. And so our TV is in the family room and you have to intentionally gather to watch it. That's good. And that way it's not always on. I mean, I have all the channels, but I don't watch any of them. So, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, It's not always on and it's an intentional choice. And it's funny because my kids, I talk to them now. uh, We were talking about this actually in the last week. They're 27, 23. They don't live at home. And, you know, I'm probably more suspicious of technology than I was a decade ago. And they have never been really big users of technology the way even I have been. Wow. And they're like, finally, dad, you're seeing the light, but you know, they'll, they'll go for a hike or my one son has a motorcycle. He'll drive around for two or three hours and go for a swim in the river and go enjoy nature and forget to take a picture of it or take his phone out of his pocket, which is, which is a real gift these days.
0: It is a gift because Mm -hmm. we, you, I know I've noticed in the midst of distraction, even driving from Dallas to here one day, I was on the phone the whole time. And I honestly, I got to my destination. I didn't even remember any yeah, of the drive. Yeah, how did I get here? Yes. Yeah. Which is, a t- red flags, hello, where we've got a disconnection problem. I didn't even remember any of the drive. But it's the same even in just everyday moments that we want to ca- capture the picture, we want to capture the moment, but in the midst of wanting to capture it, we we, we miss it too, because we're well, not fully present. And
1: what's interesting is I told you before we hit record, my 27-year-old's a computer software engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what he does all day. He codes all day long, works for some great companies. And he's like, yeah, this stuff's got limits. And actually, if you really look at what's going on in Silicon Valley right now, um, the, the more people know about technology, the more they're putting strict limits on it mm. for their own kids, for their own lives. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I used to believe that technology is neither good nor evil. It just reveals and amplifies what's already there. But I'm mm-hmm. changing my mind about mm-hmm. that. And I'm thinking, no... Like, even the way the algorithms behave, yes. you can trace a lot of the outrage in our culture, I think, to the algorithm. Because what happens, like, think about this on Spotify or even Facebook. Yeah. The algorithm, I, okay, let me go back to Instagram. Most people will remember when Instagram was really a chronological feed yes. of the people you followed. Yes. And you could scroll through. And then you would know you're caught up. Yeah. Okay, I saw everybody's picture. I'm kind of done. Mm-hmm. And then they, went, after Facebook bought them, they went algorithmic. Mm. So now the algorithm is trying to predict what you'll like and what you don't like. And if you like something, it'll give you more of that. Mm. And if you don't like it, you I'm, we may be friends, but I may never see your images, that's never so see true. your Insta story. And like, I don't know whether that's good. Mm. Because what's happening now is if you like, you know, and, and people do, your brain if you really want to get into it <laughs> yeah. writing about this in my next book. Awesome. But your your brain chemistry changes when you get upset. Like it it releases different chemicals than when you're happy. Mm-hmm. So this whole outrage thing, like what's happening to America, yeah. what's happening to the world, what's with Brexit, yeah. like why are people so angry all the time? I think future historians looking back on this will be able to trace some of that back to the algorithms that the major media companies use because what's happening and this is happening even on TV well, how do you get viewership up, right? It used to be breaking news. Breaking news was actual news. There was, was a act- fire burning through a city or a plane crashed or there was a hurricane. Mm. That was actual news. Now it's so-and-so reacts to what the president said. Right. That's breaking news. No, that's not breaking news. That's a re- somebody said something about what somebody else said, which was a response to what someone else said. That's not breaking news. But they know if they call it breaking news, they're going to get you to click. And then, you know, well, guess what spiked? Mm. Uh, again there's there's actual research now that shows in college students anxiety depression and suicide I think most people know they're on the rise American life expectancy is actually dropping and the year that that began to spike At college campuses, because they had like decades of data. It's like, okay, two, I'm making up numbers here, but 2% are going to struggle with uh, homesickness. 3% are going to have eating disorders. uh, 5% are going to struggle with depression. Like there's a profile for the freshman year every year. And then all of a sudden about six years ago, it just spiked. Anxiety spiked and they'd never seen anything like it. It was the first digital natives going to college. Wow, and, and you know, when you're always on your phone and you're missing out and you didn't get invited to this party and now, you know, these algorithms are feeding you more of what you already like. So if you like the outrageous stories and you clicked on it, it's going to give you more outrageous stories, which you can now, many people are arguing, makes you more outraged. Wow. It's like Ooh, yeah. I've been doing disconnect. a bit of research in this area so yeah. that was a bit of a rant. Well, and I
0: remember one of your m- one of your podcasts this year was with the guy who wrote Generational IQ and just yeah. talking about that whole thing around the the patterns with anxiety and depression in Gen Z and then the generation that's going to follow them so if for no other reason that's a really good reason for us to disconnect.
1: Well and so I think what you have to do and this is interesting there's a he's not a Christian but he's he's got some really interesting um, perspectives. I'm going to get his name pronounced slightly wrong, but Yovel Harari, Mm -hmm. he wrote the book Sapiens and he's done some interesting interviews. And I also follow AI and uh, they're saying the biggest number of voices, credible voices are saying the biggest threat to humanity is not like, it's the AI, the robot's going to take over. It's the ability to hack humans, which is really, you're like, well, what does that mean? What he means is that your neural networks will change. So if you get addicted to outrage, if you get addicted to anger, if you get addicted to that kind of thing, your brain chemistry starts to change a little bit and you become a little more outrageous, a little less social. It's, and I think you see this with yeah. gunman violence mm-hmm. and so on. Um, what, what is that? And he said, your responsibility as a human being is to resist that. So you know when I have uh, there's a setting inside your Facebook that says, uh, "Do you want us to give you custom ads?" I'm like, "Nope, no thank you. Nope, I don't want just because I looked for a pair of shoes yesterday and didn't buy them. I don't want to see that pair of shoes on everywhere I look, and you know Alexa yelling at me to buy those <laughs> shoes. I don't want that in my house. I don't want that in my life. And and it's actually you get the screen time report if you have an iPhone. Yeah. Hopefully that's going down. And listen, I run an online business. Yeah. Okay, so. It is not a oh we hide in a cave, and hopefully it all goes away. That's not happening, but I have to have limits in my life, and I have to protect my soul, right. my morals, my my belief in what is right. And right now, technology is not helping
0: it's with not that making it
1: nearly it as easy. much as it's making it more complicated. Absolutely, you know, in pastor world, there's been a lot of spectacular falls lately Mm -hmm. and i'll have people message me it's like are you gonna are you gonna blog on that i'm like i have nothing helpful to say there's nothing i can say that will add to this so maybe six months or a year later I'll try to pull some trends out and say why do mega church pastors keep falling mm. but not tracing it back to pastor X or pastor right. Y and and you know okay well here's some things that I've seen in me and I've seen in others so you know try to be one of the good people on the internet it's good as Cal Newport says don't click like mm. don't don't comment on everything don't feed the outrage spiral it's not good for you and it's and it not good for anything. your family it really
0: doesn't do anything anyways no <laughs> it just feeds it all
1: and you're upset all day and you're right. anxious all day and you're frustrated all day. And 98% of this doesn't even impact your life. Mm. I mean, you're gonna be able to have dinner, go to bed, get up tomorrow and make the world a better place. That's good. And if you wake up anxious and frustrated and all that, anyway, that was a little rant. Lead. No, I love it,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you talked about just in the that that conversation with the anxiety and the depression and all of that being fed. That goes into another one of the challenges that you see leaders face and that's that emptiness. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I've done it all. I've met all my goals. I've got I got the title I was dreaming about. I've got the amount of dollar signs that I was wanting in the bank. I've done all of this and yet I'm still feeling empty. And so what, what would you say to Difference Makers listening today? Like we, we, we are driven. You talked about that. Like no. we are driven to, to succeed and to achieve. And yet when we get there, there's still that feeling of emptiness.
1: Yeah. If you're going to 10K Tuesday, you're probably a little more driven than the average person. Right. right. To come out to that event. And that's the challenge of success. So I was surrounded that before I went into ministry, I was in law. And I was surrounded by very, very successful people. And at like 26, 27 years old, I really feel like God was showing me, look at all this. It's almost like, you know, uh, a scene out of the gospel of Matthew where Jesus is being shown the kingdoms yeah. and you can have all this. And I realized, man, these guys have everything mm. and they're miserable. They're miserable. And I'm like, what is that? And then I thought, well, that'll never happen to me. But, you know, I end up leading the fastest growing church in our denomination in the country, uh, one of the largest in the country. Uh, we're starting to attract attention coast to coast. Mm. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, this is good, but there's always more. And then a few years ago, I handed that over to another leader and I've started working now to help leaders thrive in life and leadership, write more books, podcast, blog. And you know, you always hope that people read what you wrote. Right. And I had a day a few years ago where I wrote a post and I mean, I was getting good traffic, but in a single day, 436,000 people read that wow. post. Yeah, exactly. If your name isn't Beyonce or the New York Times, that's <laughs> that pretty impressive happen. traffic. Yeah. For a guy who works out of his basement, that's pretty decent. <laughs> and I thought, wow, all my internet dreams have come true, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is crazy. But after the adrenaline wore off and the dopamine rush kind of kind of subsided, I thought, oh, wait a minute. Next week, 436,000 people aren't going to show up in a day. Mm. You know, by the end of that week, that post had been read over a million times and shared a quarter million times. Wow. So that's truly viral. Anyway, you know, am I gonna be happy working for 10,000? Like what if only 10,000 people read my blog or mm-hmm. 15? And you know, now we, we serve over a million people a month, which is incredible on, on the platforms I do. But you know, I, I realized that was a defining moment for me and I realized, so what? Mm. Like that's everything, what, what is that? And I, so many successful people struggle with that. right? I met I met with a guy who's on the Forbes like top 100 richest people in the world. Interviewed yes. him for my podcast, and he said something really interesting because uh, I was pushing him. And I mean, they made five billion dollars—that's with a B—last year. Ooh. That's not exactly my league, if you were wondering. <laughs> um, I'm out punting my coverage in that interview, but I said it seems to me because I spent time with his family. His family's net worth, I think, is about seven billion at this point, Ooh. and and I just said it seems to me like the business has become a means to an end Mm. because they they are they're opening retail stores when everybody is closing theirs and he's like we hope to be at 1400 stores by 2020 i'm like it's insane and i said why are you doing it he says because we get to give it away wow and i mean they funded a museum for the bible they're, they're literally, and they've signed, uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's pledge to give away more than half of your wealth oh, wow. in your lifetime or on your death. So they're literally giving away hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars a year to worthy, in their case, Christian causes. And he says, that's where the meaning is. Mm. And this is the means to an end. Cause after a while, like how much car can you right? drive and <laughs> how many houses can you have? Yeah. And, you know, I talked to somebody this week who's like selling their winter home because they're not near their family. Mm. And I realized a long time ago, there's two kingdoms at work. And this is true even for pastors and people in ministry like me. One kingdom is the kingdom of God. right? That's a great kingdom. That's an eternal kingdom. Uh, but the other kingdom that shows up on my bad days is the kingdom of me. Mm. And there's no end to the sad discontent of making you the focus of your mm. life and a lot of us you know you listen to the culture it's like you do you you know you mm. become the best version of yourself well if you do that all you ever get at the end of that is more you yeah i don't need more me i am i am the problem in my life mm. and i tend not to be the solution That's good but i find on on the days where the kingdom of me is winning i feel pretty empty mm. And when I surrender that and I pray about it and I surrender to God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? How can I use this to, as a means to a greater end? That Those are better days. Yeah. Those are better days. And I think the meaning and purpose in life, it's not what you do, it's why you do it. And it's who it's benefiting because if all the benefits are flowing to you, there's probably an issue. And it's, it's a question of giving your life away. And you know, it's that paradox that when you, when you lose your life for Christ's sake, you find it. And so that's what I'm trying to do in the midst of all this.
0: That's good. So for somebody who is in our younger generation, the Millennials, Gen Z, they're they're getting ready to set up that like the legacy that they'll leave behind mm-hmm. later down the road. The
1: billions, yes. Yes. So <laughs> th- so
0: what is a step that they can take na- take now to make sure that they don't get to that place in their forties and their fifties, that they're not looking back and having that empty feeling to make sure that they're set up for for success in this, in their kingdom of God, not just the kingdom of
1: me. Cement this in your brain. It's not about you. <laughs> the whole culture is telling you it's about you. You do you, um, you know, treat yourself, take care of, Yeah. You got to take care of yourself, but, right. um, it's not about you. It's about God and it's about serving others. That's and good. if you can get a mission that is bigger than you, you, you will have a lot more satisfaction in life because there are so many people who finally got to the top and it was all about them and they realized it was empty. Mm. So if you can just put yourself aside and say, God, this is going to be about you. This is going to be about how you can use me to help other people, whether that's financially or through service or just, you know, creating space for good people on the internet, whatever that is. Um, just do that. And if you get over yourself, if you die to yourself, something greater rises.
0: So good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Carrie. So excited. My pleasure. Thanks, you. so Jamie. great to have you with us. And if you're coming for 10K Tuesday next month, we have Dino Rizzo. He's coming from Church of the Highlands. He's going to be sharing about how we can reach our community. And just like exactly what we're talking about right now, that if we can, if we can die to ourselves and, and put the kingdom of God first, that we will be able to make a difference. So thank you for joining us. We'll We'll see you next month.